ladies and gentlemen, welcome on back to Mind Your Popcorn. I'm Ricky Uniac. I'm Chuck Clark. So we uh, our schedules didn't didn't align last week. You know, it's a bit of a rarity these days. We've been pretty consistent with uh, a new episode every single week. So, Chuck, we got some catching up to do. But before we get back to that, uh, before we get to that, what's been going on, buddy? Not much. Um, you know, we've been watching the old NBA playoffs. Um, last night's Grizzlies Timberwolves game was obviously amazing. Um, other than that, not too much. You know, I imagine that your schedule has been pretty booked, uh, you know, since you're a part of the world's slimiest, uh, baseball fandom. Uh, you're probably booked, you know, morning to night. Um, it's a full-time job being, you know, being, you know, scum and a Yankee fan. Those two things go hand in hand. So why don't we talk about that? Yeah, I suppose we can. I mean, it's not my fault. Your team couldn't hit the ball, but you know, Hey man, I didn't know that we were making fun of rookie outfielders getting hurt in the outfield, going down, getting hurt. Did you, were you watching that game live? No. So I had actually, I was seeing the movie that we're going to be reviewing today, The Unbearable Head of Massive Talent. And when I came out of the movie, I like turned on my phone because I'm not a shitty, shitty human being. I turn off my phone during movies. Um, and when I turned it back on, I think it like it was happening there because like I remember like scrolling through Twitter, walking back to my car and it was like live update. I'm like, oh, my God, what happened? Um you know what? You can't say I'm surprised. Yankees, Yankee fans, you know, we we've been new. We've been new about Yankees fans. Um, in, in, in all honesty, it, it's it's every fan base. But I just love dogging on Yankees fans. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I've realized is I've gotten. Well, I think especially now, post pandemic fan bases have just been like. Going They've been wiling out. Oh, yeah. To use a term that's slightly outdated. Um, but appropriate. Appropriate <laughs> term. Yes. They're they're just. I don't know what's going on because we saw this in the NBA playoffs last year, too, with the popcorn thrown at Russell Westbrook and some other um, instances of a fan outburst. We've had now the Yankees this NBA playoffs. There's been like three people that have ran on the court. Oh yeah, the mouth the guard round. and the mouth and the yeah, mouth the mouth guard. guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I you know what? At anytime something like this happens in in now this post COVID world we live in, oh God, at least I hope it's post COVID. Um, I think back to uh, a segment from one of my favorite uh, daytime sports talk shows, the Pat McAfee Show. And it was a segment yeah. that they did. I don't know if you've seen this or you recall, but remember that Padres fight? Like, I think it was 2020. It was like the end of 2020. It was whenever we thought we were like about to beat COVID the first time. And then COVID came back. Um, there was a fight in the Padres, uh, like bleachers or something. And it's one of the gnarliest videos. If if you're listening to this and you don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. 
go to YouTube, type in Pat McAfee Padres fight. It'll pop up. This one fan, you don't see what started the altercation. You see, like, the juicy part. One fan gets up. He's clearly had enough of something that – or he's had enough of this other fan. And he walks, like, like 30 yards. I mean, they're not sitting in the same section. He walks from a different section over to this dude and just right hook clean, takes him out. And then it starts a brawl. And I think back to what Pat McAfee said. He said something along the lines of, like, listen – We've all been cooped up, you know, like we, we've all been we've all been isolated. We've been cooped up. And now it's been even longer, you know, since COVID, you know, came back from three, one down. Um, and you got you to gotta remember, people are going to punch you in the fucking mouth. That's what he said. <laughs> and he's like, people will do that. You got to be on your toes. I think I think we as a society, we've we've let our guard down. Um, but, yeah, no, well, fans are acting a fool. Tell that to the guy messing with Mike Tyson. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, you you probably know more about that story than I do. I I just kind of saw the headline. What was going? It was on a plane, right? Like, were they did they take off yet? Yeah, they were like it was mid flight. He's like recording his buddies recording him. Uh, he was drunk. The fan was drunk. And he just kept messing with Mike Tyson. And the video that they posted was like edited. So I don't know what, but you see him punching the Mike Tyson, punching the dude. And apparently when the plane landed, cops met him at the airport. No one was charged afterwards, immediately at least. But um, the fan was clearly drunk. His buddy who was filming was talking to police and was like basically just trying to get him home, basically. So Mike Tyson hit this dude. Oh, yeah. Multiple times. Obviously, not as hard as he could. Because I imagine if Mike Tyson wanted to, that dude could have been out. Right. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I know flights are super cheap right now. But, like, my desire to fly, given all these stories I seem to come out every other day, is at an all-time low. I'm like, nah. Mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, it was also in, like, first class or business. You can tell, like, you could just tell the seats are not, like, you know what I mean, squeezed together. Like, everyone's yeah. in, like, individual seats that are spaced out. They've got leg room. You know, clearly not a Southwest flight I'm talking about here. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I I mean, you you really got to be messed up, like like, you know, drunk-wise. To try and pick a fight with Mike Tyson, even at his age. Dude is still... Yeah. I, I, he's already sort of made the return to boxing. I think he's had the one fight, or maybe it's coming up, I can't remember. He had the um, Jake Paul ticket where he fought some other yeah. boxing dude. Yeah, so, uh, you know what? P- people people are going to be dumb. They're going to stay dumb. Um, and unfortunately, well, unfortunately for them, fortunately for us, because we get to laugh about it. Um. One thing I wanted to touch on before we kind of dive into Moon Knight here and then massive talent. Um, I think we all can agree that this is a massive W for the entire world that the Nets got bounced in the first round. So let's just all give a round of applause there. <laughs> I think we're all very happy about that. Um, Jason Tatum, we stand him. Jason Tatum, dude, you know, it. It. I don't know if I could – appreciate the Celtics team if Brad Stevens was still their coach. I think we've had a conversation about how I feel about Brad Stevens. Um, this new Celtics team, I enjoy. Um, this Nets team, I just, I don't, I hate them. <laughs> Which is crazy because, like, 
Steve Nash is one of my all-time favorites, and he's their coach. And it's like I I feel bad having to root against him, but Kevin Durant, you know, he's coming after everybody on Twitter these days. So Kevin, if you're listening, hey, you know, I I ain't looking for trouble. You could definitely kick my ass, but he's got to be the the weakest superstar of all time in terms of mentals. Well, no, mm. no, that's reserved for Ben Simmons. I was just say, come on. <laughs> Come but on. okay, I'm talking Let's on social media. That dude, Kevin Durant, can not get off of Twitter. That dude was after Game Four, was on Twitter clapping back at fans. I'm like, what are you doing? You're Kevin Durant. What? You got swept. Go put up shots. Get off of Twitter. Well, I don't. I, I I don't know. It that doesn't. And, and again, who cares what I think, right? I'm not, I'm not a Nets fan. I I'm a nobody, but like I, if I if I'm an if I was a Nets fan, I'm thinking like I ain't feeling pretty good about the future of my team right now. Listen, I think it's one thing's clear is that Kevin Durant has not been the same player since he tore his Achilles physically. Fair. He's a he's still really he's still I put him in top five NBA players. He's five. Yeah. I, I agree. Well, maybe four. Yeah, he's he's battling four or five. Same with he's battling with LeBron for four or five for me. Uh, uh, I put him ahead of LeBron. Yeah, so I put LeBron five, KD four. You want to do this really quick? One, two, three. I did it last night. My one was, or well, I didn't do one, two, three. I just told him my top five. But top five, one is Steph, two is Giannis, and three is Luca. Mine is Steph, Giannis, Jokic. Uh, Jokic is my seven, and Beat is my six. I have Luka at four and Durant at five. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, dude, I, I that was that was just a glorious. I watched every single game start to finish. Loved it. Um, I'm curious to see what's going to happen to that team because there's a couple of those younger guys. I think Claxton's one of them who are primed to make a pretty penny over the off season. And Lord knows that the Nets cannot afford that. So keeping an eye on what's going on over there in Brooklyn. I also think that it's hilarious that uh, uh, Dragic left Toronto, who's still in the playoffs for Brooklyn. Um, Yeah. We're talking about Toronto still being in the playoffs, despite the fact that Philly was up three, nothing. Yeah. Well, it's three, two now, right? It's three, two now. Oh, I'm, for Toronto, man, I'm I'm rooting for them. I is is Scotty Barnes coming back? Scotty Barnes played last game. He played 41 oh, he minutes. Played. I, I did play 41 it. I, minutes. Did, did he miss two games? I don't think he missed it. I he maybe he I, only missed. I know he missed a game. I think it was at least one. Maybe he just missed one game. But like, um, hold on. Um, they've last played Monday. They probably played tonight. I think they do. Um, yeah, Scotty Barnes played 41 minutes on Monday. Dang. Yeah, if, the, oh man, if, if, if Toronto wins tonight, that's going to make things very interesting. They do not play tonight, actually. No, they play tomorrow. That's a hell of a rest. I'm assuming travel. They're probably going back to Philly. Yeah, they, they, no. No, they go to Toronto now. Oh, game for five, they just yeah. won in Philly. Game six right. is in Toronto. Okay, so yeah, so then 
Yeah. Okay. So that so when they're when they're not bouncing back between cities, it's one day off game. But when they have to switch, it'll be two games in between now. Um, right. So we got well, Bulls and Bucks tonight, and then Warriors Nuggets. Yeah. So Bucks should close out the Bulls, and Warriors should close out the Nuggets. What's going on in this? Oh man, this Suns Pelican series, dude. Yeah. I, I'm starting to feel for Chris Paul. Like I, I, I feel like this dude's cursed. They they won last night, so they're up three two, and now they play Game Six in New Orleans. And no sign of Devin Booker coming back. I'm pretty sure that dude's like out out. He's out. He was out for one to two weeks, and he got hurt in Game Two. So might have been about a week. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Man, again, if the Pelicans win, I mean that's tomorrow. If they win tomorrow, that's going to be interesting. Um, I've been loving this Mavericks and Jazz series, but I can I can honestly say that this Grizzly or the Grizzlies uh, T Wolves series, one of the most entertaining first round matchups I can remember in recent years. Oh yeah, I mean that jaw dunk is going to live on forever. <laughs> oh, Beautiful art, hang it in the loop, <laughs> as they like to say on Twitter. I- I saw a tweet today and I, I don't remember, I don't remember if it was from like a, a big time account or if it was like from one of my friends that I follow, but somebody was like, I think we all can agree that this is a hundred percent Patrick Beverly's fault, right? Like he's playing <laughs> well, but the dude is just, is just pissing off jaw and then jaw responds every single time. It's like, what are you doing? In the fourth quarter, Pat Bev gave him the too little, which is hilarious. You know I mean? Pat Bev's like five, four, like, <laughs> Bev gave him the too little after getting the layup. Ja immediately went down and got a layup, two points, and then proceeded to get 11 more points in the last six minutes of the fourth quarter, including the game winner. Dude, if I'm Cat, I'm pulling Pat Bev to the side and be like, listen, no, shush. Cat's part, Pat, Pat, uh, Cat is shit talking there too early, too. There's the. Have you not seen the picture of him going yeah, like give the him, shush him at 92 right. to 79, and they okay. proceed to get scored 32 to 17 in the preceding nine and a half minutes. Whoever the coach is, I don't know who their coach is. Whoever, if, if I'm the coach, I'm pulling them bull. I'm, I'm calling the team meeting. I'm like, listen, shut your goddamn mouths. <laughs> like clearly, like there's enough evidence to support that when they shit talk, the Grizzlies respond. So like, just stop. Just stop. And like, I, I'd be willing to bet that they would have won one of these past games had they like not ran their mouths because I think the Grizzlies are, I think the Grizzlies are that team. I think they're that good and they can kind of turn it on. They can flip the switch um, when they want to. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep tabs. I think by next week's episode, the first round should be done and we'll, we'll, we'll have a preview, maybe a game or two into the second round. So, yeah. Um, I think all the game sevens would be scheduled for this Saturday, Saturday or Saturday and Sunday. So we'll probably be a game into the second round by the time we record next week. So that'll be fun. Interested to see how this, uh, how this turns out. Um, But without further ado, let's dive in because we are an episode behind on moon Knight. So we're going to be reviewing. um, Wait, did we, did we want to do moon Knight first? I can't remember what we said. We said unbearable weight first. Okay, let's do unbearable weight first. Okay. So, <laughs> dude, I've seen like 17 movies in the last four days. I'm really trying to stay on top of things. Um, 
Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, the new Nicolas Cage movie. Um, we actually got a chance to see. I saw it on Saturday. When did you go ahead and see it? Friday night. Friday night. Okay. So uh, it's Nicolas Cage, um, Pedro Pascal. Um, they're they're the movie. I yeah. mean, there is a supporting cast. Um, you know, Nicolas Cage's daughter, I would argue, is probably like the third most important character. Well, one of them. But uh, her name is Lily Moshin. Fun fact. Kate Beckinsale's daughter. So if you thought she looked familiar, that's probably where um probably where you've seen her before. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this. I think it's Ike Barinholtz. I think that's how yep. you say his name. He's yep. in this movie. Tiffany Haddish is in this movie. Neil Patrick Harris is in this movie. But the main the movie is Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal. Mm-hmm. Um before we get into specifics of this movie, um, do you want to go ahead and kind of give your broad thoughts? Sure. Broad thought, hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. It was really good. I thought Nicolas Cage did a great job playing this fictional version of himself. Is it fictional? Yeah, it's pretty fictional. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he has any, actually has any kids, but he's had five wives in the past, in his lifetime. So yeah. the idea that he has one ex-wife, that's interesting. <laughs> um but anyways, he, um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, leftovers Pop, yeah. trying to come back up. I feel that. I feel that. Anyways, it was really funny. I thought the plot was really wild at times, but by the end of the movie, I think it kind of makes sense. It, it, if, even if it, and even if the parts that don't make sense, if you're if you do end up going to see this movie, which I do recommend, and you're like, I don't know what's going on here, don't worry. It, funny moments yeah. coming around the corner, and you're gonna be okay. Yeah, um, I'm I'm on the exact same boat as you. I guess the one thing I will say is, the first two acts of this movie are the best. The the third and final act is still good, but to me. The, the weakest of the three. Um, and we'll kind of dive into that in the specifics. But um, this movie was surprisingly hilarious. I don't know if I was expecting it to be this funny. I didn't know if I was expecting to love the duo of Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage as much as I did. Um, and at times I thought this movie was appropriately emotional. It's not an emotional movie, but there's like a couple moments where I was like, okay, that landed. And I'm glad it did because it was like, it was like a nice little garnish on the experience. Um, so without further ado, do you want to go ahead and give the spoiler alert? Caca, caca, I need fucking cage. Caca, caca. Yeah, okay, so Paddington 2 starts off with <laughs> – I meant I meant to make that joke in the very beginning, and I'm upset that I didn't. Um, uh, it, they reference Paddington 2, like, a weird amount of times throughout <laughs> this movie, but it like, – like I said, it works. But um, no, okay, so if you haven't seen this movie and you're listening, cool, whatever. Um, if you've at least seen the trailer, you – the trailer tells you exactly what this movie is and it doesn't really, it it doesn't try to be anything else. This is a buddy 
duo comedy kind of turned action movie towards the end. Um, premise of the movie, Nicolas Cage is kind of at this crossroads in his career. He's on the back nine. He knows it. He's staying at, I think he's, he's staying at like a Four Seasons Hotel or something, and he hasn't paid them in six months. So you kind of get the the sense that maybe there's some financial struggles there. Actually, they basically say that there's financial struggles. Um, and he kind of is trying to get any job he can really get his hands on. I don't remember what the movie was in the very beginning that he's like talking to the director for um, where he kind of was like, oh, yeah. I don't know if they mentioned the name of the movie and it was, I'm sure obviously it was fictional, but um, the opening scene of the movie is him out to dinner with this director and, or out to lunch. And this director seems very keen on just, on just casting him with, without him doing a reading. And Nick Cage is so dead set on doing this reading that he embarrasses himself and busts out in a little performance, like right outside the restaurant, like on the sidewalk. And it actually loses him. Th- it loses him the job. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of sets the stage for you right then and there with like where he's at in his career. So he, he gets notified that he isn't getting this, this gig, whatever it was. I don't remember. Uh, but his agent, who's played by Neil Patrick Harris, brings up that there's this interesting opportunity where there is some mega rich dude. I don't remember if they say where he lived. I don't it's I'm assuming it's somewhere. Spain. In, OK, Spain. That's what I thought. Um, somewhere in Spain. And basically this guy's willing to pay a million dollars for Nick Cage to show up to his party. Um, and so Nick Cage at first says no, but then. After thinking on it and realizing that, like, you know, he owes this hotel like six hundred thousand dollars because he's been staying there for six months. And he's like, whatever, I'll do it. And we should also mention that what one of the things they introduced in the very beginning of the movie is that he is not on the same page as his daughter or his ex-wife. There's that scene where he, like, embarrasses his his daughter at her 16th birthday party by getting on the piano and singing some like cheesy ass song that I'm pretty sure he just came up with on the spot. Um, and so again, there's that disconnect there and that'll kind of come into play at the very, very end of the movie. This is going to be a very, very quick run through of this movie because it's frankly, it's been a minute. I feel like, I feel like two weeks have passed since I saw it. And it was only like four days ago. Um, Nick Cage goes down there. He meets Pedro Pascal. They have that very funny interaction in the beginning where uh, Pedro like picks him up on a boat and Nick Cage assumes that this dude is just like a chauffeur and not this rich millionaire. Um, And so he's kind of like treating him like kind of like garbage. And then uh, they finally get to the compound um, because that's the only thing you really can call it. And he realized that this is actually Javi. This is the guy who invited him down there. This is the mega rich dude. And my God, is his house insane. This yes. is like. Beautiful. Yeah, it's it's stunning. And you want to know a fun fact here? Um, I don't know exactly it, like if it was like the same um, part, but where they shot 
like where they were did the scenes for like his house, that was where, ironically, they did the scene in Game of Thrones when he fights the mountain. Those were the same the same places. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah so I saw that. I saw Pedro say that in an interview, so we kind of got to go back. So for for those Game of Thrones fans yeah, out there, that's where he met his city, fate. It's the city. Yeah, it's the city where the that uh, King's Landing is basically. Right? Yep. Where they filmed most of King's Landing, yeah. Yep. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so he arrives at the um compound, and one thing we've also learned at this point is that the FBI has been tracking Javi. Um, they believe that Javi has kidnapped um a political rival's daughter and is holding her at the compound they originally tried tracking uh nick cage and i it, it didn't work i can't remember why it didn't work but tiffany had it she's one of the fbi agents tries to like slip a tracker or something in his jacket um um and ends up failing but within some of the first few nights the fbi is able to get a hold of nick cage again i think they actually meet him when he's on a walk and they kind of tell him hey we basically need you to spy on your new rich friend for us because we believe he has kidnapped this girl and is holding her somewhere um, in his million-dollar mansion. Well, multi-million-dollar mansion. Yeah. And at first, he's like, uh, no. Like, <laughs> I'm not helping you. This is not what I'm doing. But um, as you would assume, he's like, wait a second. You know, maybe spy work isn't much different than acting. <laughs> so maybe this is something that I can do. Um, and so he kind of slowly warms up to the idea. And it goes pretty wrong at first. I mean, when they're trying to guide him into the security room, they give him this little I've never seen this before, but they give him like some like piece of like tape or something. Or it's like a sticker that he slaps on his hand and it's got a sticky end of it that's face up. And he's supposed to like put that on somebody's skin to like knock them out. Cause there was a security guard coming for him and they're like, yeah, all you gotta do is touch him and, you know, like grab his arm or whatever. What does Nick Cage do? He wipes his face or he wipes his head with it and gets himself freaking zoinked. Dude is stoned. Um, must've been the best drugs ever because that dude was on the floor in like four seconds. And so it like it goes wrong at first. He ends up getting um it ends up working out though. He ends up getting what he needed, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and uh and yeah, the first mission was a success. And then throughout the movie, I thought this movie did a really, really good job at like painting Javi as this bad guy, but also making you really, really like him. Because all this dude wants to do is pitch his script to Nick Cage. <laughs> Homie wrote a script, and it's his dream to create a movie. And all he wants Nick Cage to do is read it. Like, I don't know if it gets any more innocent than that. Yeah, and as you turn turns out, he is innocent. Yeah. For yeah, the most and, part. Well, yeah, I mean, he's he is innocent. Um, He takes well, the money. You're right, you're right, you're right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, like you said, we actually learned throughout the movie, well, we learned, and it ends up being the third act, that 
it's his cousin who's like the brains of the operation. Um, yeah. And and we'll get to that part in a second here. Um, there's a couple funny moments that are still in the meat of this movie that I want to touch on. Like when Nick Cage is, is being fed information by Tiffany Haddish and she's like, uh, she's like kind of directing him like in an earpiece, like to try and find the room where they believe the girl is being held in. <laughs> he goes up to this door and he's like trying to get in there. And then Pedro or Javi comes up and he's like, he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I need to get in this room, Javi. I need to see what's inside. And he's like, you understand that if I let you in this room, it might change how you feel about me. He's like, I need to see it. So again, you know, you're thinking this girl's in there, but then Javi opens up the room and it's just like this massive collection of Nick Cage memorabilia and like <laughs> props and just like, I mean, it's next level. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not a huge Nick Cage. Like, like I, I know there's Nick Cage super fans out there. So I think a lot of maybe those deeper cut references they didn't land with me, but I'm sure as if somebody who, you know, had, I, I've probably only seen a handful of Nicolas Cage movies in my life. But for somebody who's seen, honestly, any any more than I have, I'm sure that that was that probably landed a little bit better. I still thought it was hilarious, um, but I, I did read a couple of reviews and they were like there were some deep cut references. Um, so, you know, a little food for thought there. Yeah. So. Again, this this movie is is make is painting Javi as just this. Well, I almost called him a normal dude. He's absolutely not a normal dude. Dude's just a Nick Cage super fan. But you never really get the sense out of anything that you see him do that he's a bad guy. You're only hearing yeah. about it from the FBI. So this dude is so so obsessed for uh, uh with with Nick Cage um that after upon hearing that he's having problems relating to his daughter he flies Nick Cage's ex-wife and daughter down to the compound and of course Nick Cage thinks he's been made he's like oh Javi's flown my my ex down here and my daughter like he knows what I'm doing and it's not true. He hasn't been made. This is purely out of the goodness of his heart. He's like, I'm going to help this man repair the relationship with his daughter. So that they can write a better movie. <laughs> yeah, because at this point, and <laughs> that's another thing that I missed. Nick Cage, his whole ploy, because he was only supposed to be there for the party. His whole ploy to stay longer so he could work with the FBI and kind of figure out what's going on is that he actually agreed <laughs> Well, well, he he reads Javi's script, and Javi's like, "So you like it? Like, will you star in it?" And he's like, "Oh no, no, but I will stay and write a better script with you." <laughs> so he stays. They they're writing the script, and it the script that they're writing, weirdly enough, is the script of this movie. It seems yes. Like. <laughs> um, and so it, you know, eventually. Uh, his ex-wife come down, his daughter comes down. They're worried sick about him because they're like, Javi said something was really wrong. And again, Javi just was referencing that he's a little, he's a little distressed. However, Nick Cage does eventually get made by Javi's cousin, who we learn in this scene is the brains of the entire operation. 
Um, he's like the muscle behind it, but Javi's the face. And that was the plan all along. Um, Javi's cousin basically gives him the ultimatum. He's like, either you kill Nick Cage or I kill you both. And so there's that really funny scene where Javi takes him back to the cliff where they kind of had their first bro moment in the beginning of the, of the movie. And when they get to the cliff, Javi pulls a gun on him, but Nick also has those two golden guns from the freaking, the, the, the fandom room from face his, off. Like, yeah. From face off. And so they draw these guns on each other and they're both like, I don't want to kill you, dude. I don't, I don't want to kill you. And so this is, this is where the, buddy cop duo type kicks in here in the third act. So I'm going to pause here up to this point. Cause I do think that this is where the movie takes a different tone. Yeah. What, what's going through your head? Are, are you, were you just as like elated with what you were seeing as I was, I was really happy. Um, there's another part of that scene. You just talked about where they switch shoes. <laughs> I forgot about the switching shoes part. Um, and <clears throat> I agree. The third act is kind of like because they kind of go meta with it within like right before this too, where they're talking about the kidnapping yeah. plot of their movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, but. Oh my god, it was just so hilarious. The Paddington 2 reference, which <laughs> apparently is like an internet there's a I've seen this before this movie where there's a guy who's like I photoshop Paddington into movies or TV shows until I forget day like 340 something or whatever. <laughs> so apparently Paddington has quite a quite a following, both the first and the second movie. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's referenced Two or three different times in this movie. And it's like the it, Paddington 2 is a decent chunk of the comedy of this movie. Um, I know um, Paddington 2 at one point was like the highest rated Rotten Tomatoes movie. Yeah, something just oh, something just took it over. I don't remember what it was. was I it, can't remember. Was it somebody, No Way Home? I don't I don't know, because from a critic standpoint, it was top. It was above Citizen Kane at one point until someone <laughs> uploaded a negative review for oh, 2017. That's, that's what it was. Somebody uploaded one negative review for like Paddington. Oh, no, was, was it Citizen Kane? Both. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I don't have to watch Paddington too. I've never seen it. I've never seen either of the Paddingtons. Yeah. I'm Apparently we're slacking here. Um, You know, I think at this point in the movie, um, in hindsight, I really appreciated how self-aware it was because again, through their dialogue, talking about their script, they're basically telling you what this third act is going to be because there, there is the whole kidnapping. His daughter does get kidnapped. Um, and you're right. They went meta with it, but they played on the fact that they went meta with it by telling you we're going meta with it. Um, which I thought, I thought it worked. So, like we just said, you know, he gets made by Javi's cousin. Javi's cousin was the one who kidnapped the uh, political rival's daughter, um, who we I forgot to mention is also a Nick Cage super fan. And we'll touch on that here at the very, very end. Um, but 
they figure out where they're being held and then it turns then this is you know the, the the whole action part of the movie um they originally try disguising nick as some older like crime head who's been missing for like 15 years nobody's seen him and they do a pretty damn good job. At first, I thought that was Jared Leto from House of Gucci. I was like, oh, man, wait, I didn't know. I didn't know Jared Leto was in this movie. Um, but they <sighs> they they got him made up pretty good. And it kind of works at first. Um, he's able to infiltrate this this other compound, the cousins compound. Um, and he's kind of able to get down below to where the girls are being held. But then that is when he's made for the second time. They figure him out. Um, bunch of guns are drawn on him he takes javi's cousin uh you know he's got a gun to his head kind of is is, is holding him as i guess you can call the bargaining chip whatnot um but then pedro pascal comes in and kind of saves the day and then we get to this chase sequence which i really liked i think this might have been my favorite part of the third act because Javi, you get a sense that Javi kind of has um, some internal things he's trying to work through with him and his cousin. And he, he kind of gives himself up here. They're, they're doing the chase sequence. He asks, you know, he asks Nick to stop the car. He gets out and he's like, I'm going to hold them off. Like, you go ahead. Like, this, it's a hero moment. Um, and then I also thought it was pretty, it was pretty adorable how the the woman who we we learned that he's actually in love with stays back with him too and they both I, I just hold off like these like this like slew of cars semi hold off yeah semi hold off well they flip one but eventually um eventually they do get through um we don't really know what happens to Javi they kind of cut away so like i i assumed that he was going to be okay but i wasn't quite sure and then I, this last part is still kind of like is still kind of cloudy to me because of the transition that they make. So, <laughs> right. So they they end up driving into what I believe is a police station. The U.S. Embassy. The U.S. Embassy. OK, so they, they bust down the gates of the U.S. Embassy, which. Ain't no way that's all it takes getting in the U.S. Embassy. There's a zero chance that you could just drive through the fence like that. Like, that fence would be reinforced, but I digress. They drive through the U.S. Embassy. Javi's cousin is still, like, on their ass. They get out of the car. Um, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, he ends up getting a hold of Nick, and now it, the roles are reversed. He has a gun to Nick's head. He's kind of yeah. holding it close to him, and he's trying to back his way out of there as all these guns from, you know, embassy security are drawn on him. Um, and then, just like a cheesy action movie, right, there's a knife in the trunk of the car that his daughter overhand throws to, to her dad, to Nick, and he catches by the handle, which, listen. Well, we should point out that as she throws it, and he stabs Lucas. We transition to yeah. from this moment to a film <laughs> in which Demi Moore is now playing his wife. <laughs> and it cut and it kind of turns and Nicholas Cage is in the audience and everyone but everyone we've seen from the movies there. 
and they're all clapping and whatnot, and Javi and him have completed the screenplay. Yeah. Got the movie made. You know, I I loved the transition. I'm a little embarrassed at how long it took me to realize what had happened. I was like, wait a second. Demi Moore has been the wife this whole time? I was like, no way. Like, I would have realized that. And no, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah wife's well, played by Sharon Horgan. I, I'm not familiar with her, but... um. Yeah, no, it, it it worked. It worked. So you're right. They they back out. They like pan out, and it's like a you know a giant theater, standing ovation for this movie. Nick Cage is back. Not that he ever left. Um, but uh, but yeah, and you know it turns out that Javi is okay. He kind of comes in at the end and says, you know, he was too nervous. Um, he, you know, which was kind of a theme every time that he wanted Nick to read his script. He's like, what you're gonna do it right now? No, I'm too nervous. I can't be here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, and, and that ended up being the movie. Um, now there are a couple things I want to go back and, and, and call on, but I'll say that for after, after our post spoiler thoughts, but post spoiler, what did you like about the movie? What didn't you like? Um, Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage have like amazing chemistry in this yeah. movie. They feel like you really feel the friendship come alive in this movie. Um, um, that I don't know. That's kind of the whole movie. That's like yeah. like like sixty percent of the movie is just there being friends. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm on I, I'm on the same boat. I don't really know if there's anything additional that I would add um, that I didn't already say. But one of the things that I forgot to mention, probably the funniest thing about this movie and shame on me for not bringing this up, is that Nick Cage is actually being tormented by a younger version of himself that he sees in these visions. <laughs> um, that's like de-aged. They do a really good job at de-aging him. Um but it's it's in a lot of ways the if you were to combine every single meme of Nicolas Cage throughout his career, that's who this vision is. And again, we talked about this movie being self-aware. They they know what's out there on the internet. Nick Cage has seen the memes, baby. He he knows what we're saying. Um and they put that into this movie in a very unique way, which I loved. But yeah, he I think the I think the Oh, I mean, at one point he makes out with the younger version of himself. It's very, it does. very strange, but it works. Um, but yeah, I, I know how in the spoiler, you did the whole uh, Nick fucking cage thing. And that was the, that was the gag that the younger version of himself would do. So um, again, shame on me for not mentioning that off in the very beginning, because it's kind of like an important part to this movie, I think. Indeed. Um, but all right, let's get down to recommendations. I think I think we both know where we stand, but let's hear it. Yeah, I, I did mention it in the beginning. I am recommending this movie. I am too. And the one thing I would say is, you know, Chuck, I'm sure you've seen way more Nick Cage movies than I have. I mean, I, I can think of like National Treasure. And that <laughs> might be it. Um, Come on, no face off. Never seen face off. Con Air. Never seen Con Air. Moonstruck. Never seen Moonstruck. The Croods and The Croods 2. Nope. 
What's the joke? He's like, well, I see the crudes too. I'm 40. I'm a 40 year old. No, I'm not a 40 year old. I'm a 40 year old man. I haven't seen crudes too. <laughs> um, but no, if you're like, if you're somebody like myself who maybe is not very familiar with Nick Cage's um, filmography, this movie's still going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, there are references, but I do think just the back and forth between him and Pedro Pascal, um, you know, it, uh, it, that, like, like we said, that is the movie and it works. So yeah, big, big recommendation from, from your boy. Um, oh, Nicholas Cage, also fast times at Richmond high. Never seen it. Oh my God. Oh, one thing I did want to talk about. I don't know if you knew this. So this movie, after seeing it seems like, it was always supposed to be about Nicolas Cage, and it wasn't. Do you know who they originally had for? They had two other actors for this movie in mind before they got to Nick Cage. Who? Daniel Day Lewis. Who? And Christian Bale. Oh boy. Could have worked with Christian, I think. I think that would work, but to me, Nick Cage was like, even with those two, like if all three were in the picture at the same time, Nicolas Cage seems like the obvious one to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, so yeah, big recommendation. It just came out in theaters last weekend, so you know the window to go see it is still there. Um, but I do know there is like, I mean, there's a lot of movies out right now. I think people are trying to see like with I know we reviewed everything everywhere all at once. That's still in theaters. Fantastic Beasts is in theaters. I know a lot of people are going to see that. Doctor Strange comes out next week. The Northman. Um, which, Which we will hopefully we'll have a review in next week. Next week, yeah. So our next two episodes, and we're not ending. We still got to talk about Moon Knight. Our next two episodes are probably going to be The Northman next week, and then Doctor Strange the following episode. Because I will. Do you have tickets for Doctor Strange? Not yet. I'm gonna okay. get them opening weekend. I assume. Okay. So I'm going. I'm going a week from tomorrow. So. All right. So, Moon Knights episode four and five. Um, like like we said in the beginning, we didn't do uh, an episode last week. However, I don't know how much it really was to talk about episode four. <laughs> we can kind of uh, get into this. Not saying it wasn't a good episode. Um, I just don't know how much happened in terms of like pushing the story along. So, episode four is um mark slash steven um going to try and find amit um yeah they're they're also with her name's escaping me i should know her name layla layla i keep wanting to call her claire and i don't know why i don't um, either <sighs> she kind of looks like a claire um she's egyptian the... so i don't know how you get that out <laughs> i don't know where that's coming from <laughs> They they get to Amit's tomb and not before they realize that Arthur and his men are already there. Um, one of the things I sort of appreciated about this episode was it's starting to show that maybe I almost called her Claire again, that Layla and Steven might have a bit of a connection. Yeah. Um, you know, in to try and not be um or to try not to point out the obvious i mean mark and steven are complete opposites 
I mean, Mark's this vigilante, mercenary, whatever you want to call him. This dude who has experience killing people. Steven wouldn't hurt a fly. They're very, very different. And there's that scene in the beginning of episode four where him and Layla are kind of getting ready to go into the tomb. They're kind of getting their like descending gear ready. And he kisses her. Steven Mm -hmm. kisses Layla, which is hilariously followed up by Mark, I guess, just getting control of the right arm and punching Steven in the face. Um, So kind of a neat little, you know, uh, a a funny little moment there. Um, But they get into this tomb and this episode very quickly takes on a bit of a horror vibe. It's probably the closest you're ever going to get um, a piece of Marvel content, you know, kind of getting that close to being like, you know, a horror piece. However, I've heard Doctor Strange has those same elements, so that'll be interesting to see next week. Um, but th- this episode, like, you know, it's not going to keep you up at night, but there's some legitimately tense parts, some creepy parts. Um, and uh, a lot of that is because that there's these, like, what I'm assuming are these tomb guards um, that are kind of creeping around in the dark. They make that, like, creepy, creepy clicking sound. Yeah. Um, Half expecting Brendan Fraser and Rachel Wise to jump yeah. out at some point. Yeah. I mean, you really do get that sort of vibe in this episode. And, the, you know, we do see one of the creatures close up when, when they're in, like, that first initial room, when they figure out that the layout of this tomb is that uh, – I don't remember what what, what the, the, the the it's called, but that eye that they keep referencing. Once they figure out that that's actually the layout of this tomb, one of those creatures comes in after he brutally murders one of Arthur's guys, throws this dead body up on the table, and proceeds to like, I mean, he goes full Dwight Schrute. He harvests <laughs> the organs. He's like, quick, we only have thirty seconds to harvest. <laughs> And he just goes right in there and he just goes to town and the the sound is, is disturbing yet, you know, in a weird way, kind of great because it's something we really haven't seen Marvel do kind of set or, you know, took it up a notch. Um, So I like that. I I kind of like the vibe of this uh, vibe of this episode, but at some point in this episode, actually shortly after that point, we just talked about Steven and Layla get separated um, primarily because of that creature. Yeah. Um, uh, Steven ends up going through like some upper passageway. Layla kind of goes out into what I can only describe as like uh, uh, th- th- this this main opening of this tomb where she fights one of these creatures uh, in hand to hand combat. And you kind of get that hold your breath moment where she throws the creature over the edge. She also goes down with it. But, you know, from my Harry Potter fans out there she totally has a neville Longbottom moment where her hand comes up over top and she pulls herself up and you know i think we all knew that she was going to be fine but then we get kind of a, a twist here because across the way across this pit that is just in the opening of this or it, it's 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 in this this room this giant room we see arthur and arthur takes it upon himself to talk with layla and tells her the truth about what happened to her dad. And 
I didn't see this coming. I'm sure a lot of people did because, like, in hindsight, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, Oh, of course. Um, Arthur tells Layla that Mark killed her dad. Layla's dad was this, like, world-renowned archaeologist. He believed in this stuff. He was determined to discover it. And we get a flashback to episode one when uh, Steven's in the car with those two people he believe are like government agents, but they end up being they end up uh, uh, being people who work for Arthur. And they say like, oh, like, you know, you've you've killed a bunch of uh, um, people at a dig site like you killed the archaeologist that 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 was Layla's dad. Um, and yeah. We and as you can imagine, Layla's like pretty pissed about it <laughs> i mean putting it lightly um while this is all going on steven's discovering uh the the lost tomb of alexander the great alexander the great i knew that um i didn't need your help at all <laughs> um yeah he discovers the tomb of alexander the great which is like a pretty major find because that's what that is what um, what's their faces were. I believe that's what they were looking for, right? Because inside they were Alex- looking for the little Amit statue that that he yep. finds, which was in Alexander the Great's throat because he was the voice or of something Amit. of Amit. Yes. Um, while Stephen is making this great discovery, in comes Layla. Like, yo, bro, did you kill my dad? And he's like, we talking about? Because it's Steven. He doesn't know. It wasn't him. And then she gets a hold of Mark. And Mark's like, uh, we got to talk about this later. We kind of have to go. We got we were looking for. It. Can we just talk about this in the car? And she's like, now nah, we talking about this now. This argument gives Arthur's guys enough time to catch up. They surround them in this tomb or in this room. And uh, to, I think, all of our surprises... Arthur pulls out a gun and shoots Mark slash Steven twice in the chest and homie falls. Homie gets knocked back. He falls like in this little uh, water. Yeah, I don't know what you call it. It was a body of water in this room, probably where Alexander the Great was taking his baths and he sinks. And I was like, what? I've certainly. Something else is about to happen. And you could have given me all the time in the world, all the clues in the world. I would have not predicted what we ended up getting for the last 20 minutes of this episode. Last now, like five minutes. No, it was longer than five minutes. It was like five or ten minutes of episode four. Because all you the- get is the, asi- is the Dr. Stephen Grant movie with the people in the asylum. Then he runs in. He talks to Dr. Harrow. Doctor conversation, and then he runs out, gets Stephen, or finds Stephen, and then runs into the hippopotamus, and then the episode ends. Yeah, but you're forgetting about like the three or four minute part where he's in the chair in the in in the common area where you're yeah. seeing all the Easter eggs. You're seeing Layla 15. as okay. Well, we'll call it fifteen minutes. I'll compromise and I'll go with fifteen. Um, but yeah, so we talked about last week when, or two weeks ago when we were reviewing episode three that it was mentioned by the showrunners that there was going to be some major twist in episode four and that it was borderline unpredictable. 
And I think that that was true because I know that this is like comically accurate. I, I know that there's a comic series um, with Moon Knight that, you, you know, th- there's this entire story. And then at the very end, it's like, oh, no, he just imagined that he's actually in a psych ward. Not saying that that's 100 yeah. percent what's happening here, but it's certainly a callback to that uh, to that comic series. And the Moon Knight comic series are relatively new. Um, so this um, is not like I, I'm pretty sure yeah. it came out. 2000 right like in the 2000s well like the create character was created back in the late 70s and then like he had well that run of the comics might be from the 2000s um okay maybe that's what it was yeah um so yeah we we're in this incredibly almost like blindingly white psych ward um, walls are white. The floor is white. The 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 outfits everybody is wearing or everyone's wearing is white. And there's familiar faces throughout this psych ward, and it's everybody who well, not everybody, but every single person that we see, like we see Layla, we see Arthur. They're from the first three and a half episodes, three and three fourths episodes, whatever you want to call it. And I was going back and forth. I'm like, I cannot tell if this is real or not. I think it's at a point I was like, oh, this is this is real. And maybe this was all in his head. Um, but I I didn't really figure that out this episode. What did you think? Uh, when the episode ended, I was kind of like, oh, they're going to do some weird ish next week. So I'm yeah. excited to see how that was goes. I'm wondering if how what they're going to play it as, or they're going to play it like this is real and that's not, or that's, you know what I mean? So I was, I was like, okay, that was a weird twist. That was not where I thought this was going. So I'm excited to see where this goes. And then we got episode five this week and uh, lived up to the hype. Say that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is episode five is one of my favorite Certainly out of the Disney Plus series might be my number one episode out of all the Disney Plus series. Like I, I, I had to think about that. And I think the only thing that might top it is like one of the episodes from Loki, maybe one of the episodes from Loki. The fifth episode where he's in that place in the void with yeah. all the other Lokis. Yeah. And I, I think I liked this episode so much because it's it's just Oscar Isaac, man. It, it's him and you get a little bit of Ethan Hawke but my god after watching episode 5 I'm like this dude might might fuck around and get nominated <laughs> for this performance like yeah I know it's very early and whatnot, and you know probably recency bias but he is so damn good in this episode Um, so let's talk about it I'm not going to go through and break it down scene by scene because there's so much that happens but in episode five, we actually learn about what exactly happened um, with Stephen and Mark and how these two personalities came to be. Um, and we kind of get the truth about his childhood, you know, his mom, um, all while still kind of not knowing what's 100 percent going on. You get a little bit of clarification. So the hippo we see at the end of episode four apparently is a pretty big character. Um, this is one of the Egyptian gods. Don't remember her name. She's super chill, like her, would want to be her avatar. <laughs> she seems dope. I don't know how they got stuck with Khonshu. That dude's a prick. Um, but she basically 
um, lets them know what's going on. Like, yo, we're going to the afterlife or something like that. We on this boat, um, y'all got some inner things to figure out because these scales ain't balancing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get you in or not, or if you're basically going to be damned to hell. Yeah. And so we, we get this, I don't want to call it a montage because it's not a montage, but we get this, the, the meat of the episode are a bunch of flashback sequences. It's basically Steven going room to room throughout the psych ward and peeking in on different memories of his childhood that he does not recall. Um, and this entire time, it feels like Mark is trying to stop him. Yeah. And he's trying to stop him from seeing something specific. And we, we, we get to that at the end, but Steven's seeing stuff like from his early days, like with his mom and his dad. And he, you know, at one point there's like a little kid that he sees in the psych ward. And he's like, who is that? He's like asking Mark and Mark's like, it's nobody. And um, he chases him and chases him and chases him. Um, and we end up learning that it's his little brother probably should have seen what was about to happen because when they saw him, they were in a room cre very creepy with a bunch of corpses that are a, a, a bunch of corpses that were people that Mark had killed. Yeah. And then we see this, this little kid in the room and Steven chases him and they, the kid kind of leads him to this memory. And what we end up learning is that um, when they were little Mark and uh, his little brother, don't remember his name. Um, they went exploring in some cave on a rainy day. The, you know, the rain was coming down the cave filled up with water. Um, little brother ends up drowning and dying. Yeah. And very, <laughs> I hate to, I hate to compare the two things cause there's, they're nothing alike, but Mark's mom takes a page out of Tony Collette's book from hereditary and is like, uh, this was your fault. And we start to see the birth of this deep, deep trauma that Mark went through as a little kid. Um, and, and this episode's not really funny. There weren't really like many no. laughing points at it. I don't think there were any, um, uh, no. maybe with the hippo that might've been like one or two, like, <laughs> one-liners but for the most part when you get in the flashback sequences i mean man it's really sad yeah. um like, like we mentioned mark's mom is like not having it she she's blaming mark i mean on multiple occasions you see that for his first birthday without his brother his mom doesn't come downstairs to like you know sing happy birthday to him his dad does it they flash forward immediately to maybe either his next birthday or a couple years down the road and she's drinking and while his cakes in front of him, she has to remind him that he murdered his little brother. And she's like, it's not like you, you know, she's saying like, you were always jealous of him. I should have seen this coming. I mean, some pretty terrible things to say to your child. Yes. And you do feel for Mark and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, it, 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 it becomes unimaginable. And then, and I, I really liked how they did these birthday scenes where it's Steven running up the stairs after the younger version of Mark. And every time he gets to the top of the stairs, it's the next birthday and he sees it. And then he has to keep going up the same flight of stairs. Very trippy. He finally gets 
to be outside of Mark's room. And he's about to go in and Mark, uh, the older version of Mark that's there with Steven is like, you can't go in there. Like you can't see what's behind that door. And Steven doesn't listen to him and he goes in there and Steven basically sees the creation of Steven. Steven was created by Mark as a defense mechanism to sort of suppress the trauma that he was receiving or, or that he was experiencing from the death of his brother and his mom blaming him. And you see the realization on older Steven and he's like, you know, then he has to kind of process. He's like, wait, I'm not real. My life's a lie. They, I really, really like the dialogue they had um, where Mark is trying to basically be like, oh, it's not so bad. You got to live thinking that your mom loved you and that she's still alive. And then we're then we learn she's not alive. Um, and I don't know if you put two and two together, but I had seen some theories after the first two episodes. I think there's like. I think there's like one or two letters that Steven receives that look like they were like written by his mom. And now it's like basically confirmed that that was Mark writing letters to Steven pretending to be his mom. So Steven didn't have to know the truth essentially. Right. Um, Or Jake Loxley. Who knows? Yeah. yeah, Jake. Yeah. We we could talk about Jake at the end because I, I don't, I thought if we were going to get Jake, it was going to be this episode and I didn't get him. I don't think we're going to get him, at least in, in this series. Uh, maybe there's season two, but we'll we'll talk about that. But this episode basically wraps up after they experience everything. Um, you know, they're still trying to get their scales balanced. That's the that's why they were going through all these memories. They're almost at the gates. You know, the 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 hippo god ladies like, yo, you guys got to figure this out. They end up not figuring it out in time and their scales still aren't balanced. They're at the gates. The hippo's like, yo, I was rooting for y'all. But now, you know, the she calls them like the damn souls or something of the undead are basically here to claim you or something. And. You know, it's pretty creepy. These bodies start coming up out of the ground and, and they get on the boat and it turns into a fight. And boy, was I not prepared for where this was going. Um, Mark gets, uh, you know, Mark's the fighter of the two. He's taking them on. Steven kind of has this realization. He's like, you got this. You got this. He's like, wait a second. If you got this, then I also got this because we're the same person. And Steven kind of has a moment where he's kicking some actual ass. He picks up that bat. He knocks a couple of these like zombie dudes out. Um, takes so Steve Harrington out. on them. Yeah, he goes, that's a perfect way to put it. He goes Steve Harrington on him. Um, but then at the last second, one comes up the side of the ship and kind of gets Mark around the neck, about to pull him overboard. Steven runs after him. I didn't get the vibe that this was by design. I kind of got the vibe that he was just like, I got to do something. And it unfortunately resulted in him going overboard the boat, um, landing on the sand. And when you land on the sand, you turn into stone. And it wasn't that quick. I wish it was because this part got me a little misty. I'm not going to lie. Steven goes overboard and it's the slow realization that, that he's screwed. He's trying to run back towards the boat. He's getting bogged down. He's getting slower. His legs start turning to stone. And it's this very, very slow transformation into this stone man where eventually he's 
like stuck in place, like reaching out um, towards Mark, who's still on the boat. And we're led to believe that Steven's gone. And I, I do think Steven's gone. Um, because once that happens, the scales balance. And then apparently when the scales balance, you get transported to wherever the hell Thanos was staying for. He's in time. heaven. He's in Egyptian heaven in the reeds. Yeah. And it, it's very, it, it's cool. It, it's a cool little shot. Um, but that's where the episode ends. And I was like, okay, but b- before I keep talking, I, I want to hear what you say. I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, this is the best episode of the show so far. Bar none. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was really emotional too. The scenes with Mark, how he came to be the scene with his mother dying mm-hmm. and how he dealt with that. Oh, we yeah, I didn't talk about that. That's right. I thought that was really good. Um, the show's not going to connect to any other part of the MCU, except maybe a post-credit scene after the end of the show. That's fine. Um, although I did like how the hippo said, uh, one of the planes of existence, the ancestral plane, that place is so lovely. Shout out Black Panther. Yep. Um, let's see. Yeah, I was surprised that Jake Loxley didn't show up in this episode. So I guess he's going to be season two slash maybe Moon Knight's next movie appearance. Uh, because there's got to be a second personality or else or unless there's because there's no Moon Knight. If there's not a second personality, you know, like that's like a core part of the character. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'm interested to see how that goes. What else? Um. Yeah, I'm interested to see how they wrap this up. Oh, and also that we know that Hera's plan is happening, I guess. Oh, right, because all those bodies start dropping when they're on the boat. You're right. I forgot about right. that. Um, Yeah, this episode is seemingly does nothing to tee up the finale. In a weird way, I kind of enjoy that. Like, cause I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I guess I'm glad this didn't leave off on, like, a super crazy cliffhanger. Yeah. Um. And you know, I'm I'm on the same exact boat as you. It it was emotional. Uh, I think that this show is on par with Loki, if if not better. I'm not sure if it's better yet. I'll have to wait until we see the last episode. But to me, this is if it's not one, it's number two in terms of the Disney Plus series, and Loki being the other one. Yeah, I think Loki, this, and What If are the three like. Well, I'll say Loki is in what if are because this ep- this show I felt like kind of was a little coming down. And now this episode raises it. So if they stick this landing, you know, it, yeah. it could it could it could climb itself up there. But we'll see. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is in this episode, there are quite a few conversations that we do get with Dr. Harrow, Harrow um, and. You know, if I'm going to shout out uh, Oscar Isaac's ability to switch back and forth, you know, basically playing two different people like Ethan Hawke, you know, showing that he can do it as well. You know, he goes from this like full on. I mean, he's a full on villain. You know, he's pretty despicable. He's he's a creepy. He's villainous. And then when he's this doctor, uh, he's like this sweet guy. And it's kind of cool to to see both parts of that. So, you know, shout out Ethan Hawke, too. But. Um, I do have high hopes for this finale, though. Um, 
I I I hope I'm right. I hope they stick it. If they stick it, I this might end up being my favorite show so far out of the Marvel Disney Plus series. Um and I just I can't imagine what's going to happen cuz like I know like with with Loki, I think we knew maybe about after episode 2 or 3 there was going to be a season 2. Like it had been confirmed online or something. Mhm. Um nobody in this show is signed on for anything past this this show. We don't know what's going to Oscar Isaac's come out and said like I'm going to see how this does and I'm not making any promises to anybody. Um that being said, I'd have to imagine that he would be interested in coming back. However, Homie's been burned with Star Wars already. I can understand his reservations with getting sucked back into a major franchise, um, especially long term. So, but yeah. And I also, and I, I think you probably feel the same way. I kind of like how this doesn't really tie into anything else. It's kind of refreshing not having to think about the past 27 movies and shows combined um, to understand what's going on. I think that that part's pretty cool. I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, Oscar, he wasn't burned by Disney as much, but now Boyega, now that's, that's a different story. He ain't, <laughs> he ain't coming nowhere near no Disney sh- stuff in, in, in the near future. So it's too bad, but, um, yeah. Um, Ah, I would love to see him do more stuff, but like, yeah, this is a nice little experiment. Like, let's see what happens. Do people like it? Cool. If they don't, okay. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of, I, I think there's always been the assumption, um, and it's not even an assumption because there have been actors who have come out and said that, like, you know, when you get in with Mar, like, like getting in with Marvel, like, you're getting a bag. Like you're committed, you know that you're a part of this for X amount of years, um, and I, that's always been a given. And I kind of, I don't know, I, I can't explain why. I I like the idea that this might be the only thing we get with Moon Knight. I've, I obviously hope that it's not, but if it is, like, cool, knocked it out of the park so far. I'm assuming. You know, assuming episode six, the finale isn't a major disappointment. I mean, it had to be Thronesian, I think, at this point. Um, and so hopefully it's not. But uh, when does that show start? Uh, I think 821. I think it's August. Oh, yeah. You got time. We got so much shit to do before that. Even Why is that even on your mind? Because you just brought it up. <laughs> I can't believe I made the agreement to review it. Listen, listen. We no, you okay. I'm gonna retract our agreement. You you made the agreement to watch it in real time. Oh yeah. I'm not gonna make you talk about because I, I wouldn't want to do that. If you're gonna sit across if you're gonna be on the other side of the screen as me and just be like, fuck this show, this show sucks. <laughs> I don't want to talk I about it think- either then. It's not that I think the show is going to suck. I mean, I'm sure if we watch the first season, we're all going to be like, man, they, it was good. Like, okay, I'm in. Like, this is cool. I'm going to be like, okay, I can't wait for this to break my heart. This is what I don't understand. There is nobody that is a part of this show 
that has burned you in the past. Those two clowns, Benioff and Wise, they're gone. They're not a part of this. This is like, it's Sapochnik, it's George R.R. R. Martin, it's all the people that really made the show the show, like all of our favorite episodes. They're all coming back, baby. We'll see. That's so, so, you know how many things that, you know, okay, let's just, let's just think about movies. Well, it's a TV show. Let's think about TV shows that we're going to be talking about before that even happens. Obi-Wan Kenobi. The boys. Stranger Things. Yep. Um, Maybe She-Hulk, if that comes out. I'd have Miss to Marvel. Yeah, there's going to be at least one other Marvel show that comes out before, like in between Obi-Wan. Oh, it'll be after Obi-Wan because they're never going to overlap like that, I don't think, Um, since it's all Disney+. Plus. Like, There's a lot of stuff that we got, a lot of good stuff. Um, You know, some would argue that there's too much going on right now because I didn't know what movie we were talking about today. I couldn't tell if it was The Northman or The Unbearable Weight of Mass of Talent. I didn't know which episodes of Moon Knight we hadn't covered yet. I'm 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 stressed over here. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah, we got to wrap this up here. So we will be back next week. So I'm going to attempt to try and plan this out, make sure I have everything correct. Next week's episode will be the Northman review and the finale of Moon Knight. Next, we will record that on Wednesday, I'm assuming, because Thursday I will be seeing Doctor Strange. Um, so that episode will be out Thursday at the latest. Thursday night I'm seeing Strange. I know you're seeing Strange sometime on opening weekend. So the following week will be the Doctor Strange review. Then after that, I don't know what else is really happening in terms of like early May. Um, might not be anything up until Kenobi. Well, Kenobi and Stranger Things premiere on the same day, which is which is crazy to me. Um, yeah. So we got that going on. And I this just popped in my head. And I don't know what this says about us or about this movie. But Chuck, what is the what was the highest grossing movie of all time before Endgame? Uh, Avatar. One of oh, yeah. the. One of the most highly anticipated movies of this year got a title today, and we didn't even talk about it because oh, yeah. it has Avatar. virtually had zero impact, zero impact on society somehow. Um, yes, so that's Avatar. The I what, have with. what was it? Avatar, King of the Water. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> it, it, it was surprising. It was Avatar: The Shape of Water. They really, they really went for it. <laughs> no, it was like Life of Water or something. Gotcha. I don't, I don't know. I am 0% excited about this movie. I will probably go see it, but I really do think that the reason the first movie was so successful to the level that it was, was because it was such an achievement for CGI. People have caught up, man. Like I, it, I can't imagine they're going to be doing anything that's going to wow us or that we, that we haven't seen on before, but we'll see. That's that's way down the road. So anything you want to say before we sign off? Um, No, no, I I think I've said everything that needs to be said. Looking forward to the finale of Moon Knight. Going to go see Northman this weekend. Hope everyone out there is listening. Yo, do you know the usual? Follow the socials. Yep. Twitter, mind popcorn. TikTok, mind your popcorn. Have you made any more TikToks? 
Oh, you know, I ruined TikTok for myself uh, because oh I was so hyper focused for that like three week span where I was just dishing out content left and right. A plus tier content, might I add. So you can go back and you can look at my work. It's good. I'm not denying that. Um, I just have not had the energy for it. It eventually will happen. You know, I'm I'm looking for inspiration, man. So I'm, I'm just an artist looking for inspiration. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, maybe you can find some hippo related content and match oh, that up with some Paddington 2 content. Oh, find yeah. A little remix. Yeah. The crossover everybody's waiting for hippos and Paddington 2. Um, yeah, you, you know, like Chuck said, you're you know, you may not know this, but you're actually legally binded. Legally, you have to follow us on our socials because you listen to this episode. Um, if not, you'll be hearing from our lawyers. But with that being said, we're going to peace out. We will be back next week. Go see the Northmen in theaters. Go see uh, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Um, and then you can come back and listen to our reviews. Indeed. All right. To everybody next week.